Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, what's the good word? It's uh, champagne sharks. Today we are with Kenny. What's up, y'all? How you guys doing? And uh, happy holidays. We've got a holiday coming up on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This might come before the holiday. It might come out after. We'll see. But uh, yeah, we're talking about this new um, documentary called Blindsided on CNN. It's an interesting documentary in that uh, I feel like it's weird. They kind of rush things out now um, really fast. So it's like, I feel like back in the day, this kind of thing would have come out after the hearing was over and everything and they have a nice complete you know story whatever but i noticed they bring things out fast now like with um yeah. like with that recent case with meg the stallion and and um the tory lanes Tor- yeah tory lanes and they were and that thing came out so <clears> fast <throat> and i'm like okay you guys were just you guys had, had to make three quarters of this and just add uh, i heard it wasn't that great i don't know i didn't it's just a rush it. for it's just a rush for content like there's just no yeah. th- there's really not too many um content people that are creating content from their I- ideas and imaginations it's got to come from quote-unquote ripped from the headlines yeah yeah ripped from the news cycle from social yeah. media so it's like it wasn't bad but it was like 48 minutes this documentary is called Blind i didn't learn Side. anything i didn't learn anything um that i didn't already know as far as i already knew who he was you know i'm an avid football watcher especially yeah. college football the only thing that I, I i did learn something what i did learn is how he got into old miss i did learn that i didn't know that yeah. But as far as the family and all of that stuff, I already knew about it. But, you know, a lot of this information is kind of new as far as him coming out saying, hey, that's not the way I was. That's not the way it really happened. He didn't say this just happened in the last year and a half. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and, you know, like, uh, I mean, to be fair, if you know nothing about this case, you'll learn something from this. Yeah. But if you've been following the case, this doesn't go past what you've already read in the yeah. articles. Uh, if you read if you read it when it first if you read the articles when it first came out a month ago. You're not really getting anything new. I mean, no. except there's a couple more interviews and stuff. The one thing I'll say, um, Carrie Champion is horrible. I have no idea if she's horrible across the board or just horrible in this because I haven't seen her in much. But it's not like she's doing a bad job speaking or delivering information or anything. It's just that her points have nothing. She could be it doesn't anybody. build on the story. Yeah, she it doesn't. You can tell she didn't do any investigation on this. Yeah, she, she's she, not a lead investigator. Yeah, and everything she says is just the obvious. Like you know, and uh, as you can see, this family was not for his best interests. It's like, okay, right. thanks. Like I could have seen that. Everyone else, you know. I feel like had some kind of connection to the story. She was just saying the obvious. The one thing she said that just drove me off the, up the wall. Actually, you know what? Let me see if I can um, find it and play it because I think I can. I can connect. 
Yeah, she was doing anything bothering me. It you really because- think about it, the thing about it is with Carrie Champion or anybody that's involved with the story. When you, or at least I'll say this: this is where we're at at this point when it comes to sports media. When you add people from sports media in today's sports media, you're not going to learn anything because yeah. today's sports media is not about creating stories, doing investigation. It's not about journalism anymore. It's about hot takes, personalities, the, the personalities, their opinions, which you know. Through the years, we've always been able to get our sports media's quote unquote opinion, but it would be after we've learned something. Yeah. Whereas now we're not learning anything. It's just hot take after hot take. And and, and even her opinion was just very banal. It wasn't yeah, very it was benign. It wasn't anything that you you know, it was really like I said, we were talking uh off air and Carrie Champion, she's an ESPN person. So on ESPN, which is unbelievable because at one point in time me and you are both old enough to remember when ESPN had actual real real columnists journalists and people that actually created stories and did yeah. interviews and journalism like and I'm talking before Stephen A Smith you know what I'm saying back in the days of Dan Patrick and people like that even the one guy what's his name he's on MSNBC now um man what's his name man he's a loud mouth he used to be on ESPN Overman. Oberman, Keith Oberman, even back when Keith Oberman was on ESPN and Stan Verrett, who's I believe is still there, Stuart Scott, you know what I mean? Those dudes before the debate show era, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can actually, there was a show called The Sports Reporters that used to come on ESPN and it had, um, let me get the names. I know Rick Riley was one of them who's been a sports reporter for years. Um, who was it? Uh, Mike Lupica, who's a known sports writer from New York. Um, who else was it? Dick Shap, who has since passed away. Um, John Saunders, who has since passed away, and Gary Thorne. I'm not sure if Gary Thorne is still alive. I believe Gary Thorne is still alive, but all those other people have passed away, since passed away. I think Mike Lupica is still alive, but they would have this show on Sundays called The Sports Reporters that would come on and they would talk about the weekend sports that was going on at that time. Now, these are all columnists and authors. We don't have that anymore. So you can put Carrie Champion on TV and she'll just give you the run of the mill opinion about what, you know, something she would probably say on ESPN. You know, you know, something I, I would say is like, I feel like uh, because of the optics and the way things are now, and this is a very um, sensitive subject and a lot of the optics leading up to here look bad because all the old clips are mostly credulous white people all yeah. congratulating other white people for, you know, what they did for this guy and everything. They probably thought we've got to load this up with black faces and voices, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. And to the and to the credit, uh most of them did a good job here. You know, there was a lady, Amy Bryant, who uh um uh, was on this thing. She's a um I'm not exactly sure. Let me see. Oh, this is why she was good. This this Amy Bryant woman was a black woman, but she's not working for ESPN. She's a director of the Office of Conservat- Conservatorship Management. So she's actually an expert on the topic. She's in charge right. of the Office of Conservatorship Management. So now I'm going to see why her contribution made sense, you know? So, so like, uh, and then there was this uh, male reporter whose name I forgot, but he was a black guy and he was good too. And I think they just had to kind of pad it out with uh, more people. So, so you had like, to bring a quote, you had to bring a person that was from the quote unquote sports world. So they chose Kerry Champion. Yeah. And, and her contributions were just, uh, 
were just awful. Like I'm gonna well, play. I think one of the reasons why. Well, hold on. Before you play that yeah. clip, I think one of the reasons why that uh, it just seems so bland is because I don't think anybody in the sports media did any investigations on this story at all. And I, the reason why, and we'll, I'll touch on it a little mm-hmm. bit later, is because this happens a lot more than people think it does. Not the conservatorship yeah. part, but the entire story of how Michael Orr ended up with that white family. And I'll get into it a little bit later about high school recruitment. And, and, and I sent you that article about LeBron. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he, he pretty much, like a lot of these big-time athletes, I don't think people realize this, a lot of big-time athletes, black athletes, if they're coming from poor, so-called poor backgrounds, they end up living with white families and i'm out we'll get into it later after you play that clip yeah i will say in sports journalism the print guys i think still tend to be um okay even though those guys are declining in quality as well but the print guys aren't working for espn yeah they're not working for espn but but i'm saying like in in sports media they're like the last of like the serious Mm -hmm. people but even they're um i feel like declining because print is becoming like, you know, after the creation of BuzzFeed and digital media, yeah. even uh, print media has become very uh, sensationalized and, and BS. So they have, they have a they have a sports <laughs> reporter on here whose name I unfortunately forgot, but he, he I think he said he was a writer and I think uh, he wasn't he wasn't bad either. But I must start a little further back so you have context for what Carrie Champion is uh, saying. The judge granted the wishes of both sides and ended in the conservatorship. That's something that both sides said they wanted. The judge made some interesting observations about the case. First, she said she's never seen in all her years on the bench a conservatorship set up in a case where someone wasn't incapacitated. One big thing that I find unusual is the judge mentioned in the order granting the conservatorship that Michael had no mental or physical incapacities. He was a normal, functioning 18-year-old adult. If there was an order that specifically stated there was no disability or no incapacity or something of that nature, then that would raise an eyebrow as to the necessity of the conservatorship because that's what's required. And, and while we're speaking, we're two print reporters. Uh, those are the first two male voices. And the last person that spoke was the black woman who's a director of the Tennessee conservatorship uh, thing she's giving. And then they just uh, throw in Carrie Champion, I think, right around here. I do believe that a system who saw a poor black kid in a rich white family agreed with the fact that he couldn't take care of himself. The optics suggest shut up and dribble and you need all the help you can get. And then that's it. She just comes in and says something silly like that. So all she said is, uh, you know, I think that a black person and a white family came in and a conservatorship went with the white person. Uh, okay, we know that happened. Like, they just said that. You actually yeah, but tell us something we don't know. Yeah. Instead of and trying it, to tell us, you know, the same tagline you guys have been saying through social justice sports media for the last six years. Yeah. It's it's like basically she just there to say, in case you didn't get it, uh, I think racism was at play. It's like, oh, okay. Like he didn't actually elucidate any facts or give any. You just said, she just came in to say, Hey guys, racism, you know, and then she could shut up and dri- she's throwing in all the um, the greatest hits and like shut up and dribble makes no sense in, the, in that 
context. No. And, and that's just that because, has nothing to do with the story at all. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the story. Like, shut up and that, dribble. That is, that is not yeah. even what it was implied in that story nope. or anything. He's doing whatever she had in their, in their um, cue cards of, of catchphrases. Because shut up and dribble. Like, never mind that's about basketball, not football. But in, in, in principle, it's about when a sports person is complaining about something, real life issues, things outside of sports. And they tell them, like, you know, shut up. This has nothing to do with you. Uh, stick to sports but a this does have something to do with him so shut up and dribble yeah. wouldn't apply here that, that, you know? that applied to lebron when lebron was trying to get involved in politics that's yeah. when the, the 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 right side was telling him to shut up and dribble yeah michael and, Orr never said anything yeah yeah he never uh he was never complaining period and also even if he was complaining this was about his own life not about yeah, yeah. politics or china or uh, Black Lives Matter, like with, with Kaepernick, like it makes no sense what she's saying. No, he wasn't in the conservatorship putting up an argument, and anyone had to say, "Hey, uh, shut up and catch it, uh, play defense, go, go block court. somebody." Yeah, 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 yeah. It would make absolutely no sense, and all her contributions are just uh, stuff like that, and they just kept like annoying me to the point. Like, after she came out, I was like, "Oh my god, what's she gonna say?" Saying now, like, even when it wasn't terrible, it wasn't anything. Like, I think it's another one. Hold on. Even when it wasn't terrible, it wasn't anything where I was like, "Why does she have to be here?" Michael Orr right. will watch him today. The idea that football players are commodities, I think, is one of the seminal ideas that comes out of this Michael Orr story. You can see where he got so much attention once his football ability became clear to people. When you look at the idea that he went to Ole Miss. This is when we start to question ulterior motives. So the two... And, that, and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, when he goes there, this is where we question ulterior motives. But it's like, okay, that's a nice start to... Uh, but also, you got to remember, point. Kerry Champion was not on ESPN back when Michael Orr... Michael Orr came out of high school in 2005. This is a long time ago. This is a while ago. So she wasn't even around. She might have been in college or something at the time. She wasn't around when the story was a thing. So no, no not not at all. But she could still do some research. Like what she well, said. Well, that's the there, problem. Yeah, what she <laughs> yeah. said there is not even a um complete thought. She goes, okay, this is where you start considering ulterior motives. And you think she's gonna go on, but no, that's that's it. It's like okay, they move on to something else. This bring her and the way they do these things usually they sit with you. Uh, these things are usually hours and hours. Hours. Of they have to talking, edit all that, all the and other they stuff edit out. down. So yeah. to me, the fact that they're just taking these little lines and inserting, she didn't have people. anything of, of of worth to say during yeah. the whole hours and hours and hours of information that she gave them. Yeah, all they could do is just try to find little like a uh, couple of words. Um, and this look for, for the and just you know for the Ch carry champion fans, this isn't a carry champion problem. This is a sports media problem. Yeah, yeah, because she shouldn't have been put in this story. She had nothing to yeah. say. Like like they just yeah. threw her in there, and she wasn't the right person for it. Like I'm sure there's something. You know, sports media where she'd be a great fit for it. You know, I'm not very. Um, She's not saying anything different. Jamel Hill would have said the same thing. Yeah, Michael exactly. Smith would have said the same thing. Stephen A. Smith would have said the same exact thing because that's what they do. So, just to pivot away from her. Yeah. Michael Orr is an offensive lineman. And for a lot of people, I noticed that some people said on that, uh, I can't remember who it was, but they said that because of the position that he played, it was easy to kind of like bury his story and nobody was saying anything. Like if he was a, a running back or a wide receiver or big time basketball player, as if it would have been more, he would have got more notoriety. I don't think that's true for the simple fact that Michael Orr, and I looked this up, Michael Orr was the number five player in the country coming out of high school. One. Two, offensive linemen are some of the highest paid players in the NFL. You could thank Lawrence Taylor for that. Yep. 
Um, <clears throat> three, the important part of the story is because when it was never implied that the racism played into this. Now, we can easily find ways of racism. That's the easiest part to do. But when Michael Orr chose to go to Ole Miss, now they did talk about that's what Carrie Champion said. That's when things started started getting a little fishy. Oh, yeah, because those white people went to Ole Miss. Yep. Michael Orr is not from Mississippi. Michael Orr is from Tennessee. Michael Orr wanted to go to University of Tennessee. He could have went anywhere. That's how good of offensive lineman he is. He could have went anywhere. And if any, any listeners out there that watch college football knows that Ole Miss is not a college that has continuously through the years um, was able to get big time recruits. The last time they were able to get big time recruits, they ended up going on probation because they found out that the players were getting paid. This is before uh, NIL and before the the recent, this is back in the early 2010s. They were able to get players. Now you remember this is Oxford, Mississippi. They were able to get players from Chicago. They, and, and I said before, you know, football is a rural sport. When you talk about high school, you know what I'm saying? It's a very rural sport. So when you hear about a big time player coming from Chicago, and he's going to Ole Miss. Like, you really have to think, like, damn, how the hell did that happen? You know what I'm saying? For the last, I don't know, 70 years, the two biggest names that come out of Ole Miss football is Archie Manning and his son, Eli Manning, to play for the New York Giants. Well, Eli Manning, his dad went there, so that's kind of a no-brainer that his son would go there. But when you hear about a kid named Laquan Treadwell, who's the number one wide receiver coming out of high school from Chicago, and he's going to Ole Miss, like, hold on, man. So it wasn't him either. It was a couple other kids. Uh, that ended up going to Ole Miss, and they got in trouble for that. Okay, that's fine, you know? So we know that Ole Miss is not a main attraction for players unless there's some type of sneaky uh, ulterior motives going on. So Michael Orr going to Ole Miss was an eyebrow raiser at that time. Now this, you remember, we have to date ourselves. So today we know Alabama football and, you know, Georgia football is a big time. This is 2005. Alabama football is nowhere near what they are today. Alabama football is uh, on probation, as a matter of fact, in 2005. And Nick Saban is at uh, Louisiana State University. He's not even at Alabama yet. So at this point in time, the big time schools in college football at this time is USC, Miami, Texas. You know what I mean? Those are the big time schools in college football at that time. Florida State. But he goes to Ole Miss. Tennessee was still a big time football program. He doesn't go to Tennessee, he goes to Ole Miss. And we find out that Michael Orr's quote unquote family members, that white family, the what are their last name? Tui? Uh, yeah. The Tui. The dad went to Ole Miss, played basketball there, and the mom went to Ole Miss. So, but now I say all that to say this. This is not not something that is uh, unheard of. There's always college football recruiting. High school recruiting is the dirtiest business next to probably box is dirty. Okay. So to hear that story of him going to Ole Miss, I'm not shocked by that. Now, the NCAA actually helped that family get him into Ole Miss. Now, did he want to go there? I don't know. I didn't really get that from the story if he wanted to go there or not. It seemed like he kind of got funneled in there to Ole Miss, which was now here we got the money part of it. So there's those kickbacks that come back. So you have these people that are so-called quote unquote handlers for high school students. It still happens to this day. So you hear about kids going to certain schools. You're like, damn, how the fuck did he get there? You know, and then you'll find out later, oh, he has a handler who's also connected to the university. So he got that kid there. Luther Campbell from Two Life Crew. 
Mm-hmm. Luther Campbell is one of those people. Luther Campbell has a Pop Warner football uh, team that he coaches. I believe he coaches high school football now. It's kind of like um, said but not said. Luther Campbell directs his kids to certain schools. It used to be to the University of Miami, but then Luther Campbell didn't like that they didn't hire some of his friends who coach football at University of Miami for college jobs. So he started directing kids to go to Florida State. You know what I'm saying? So this happens a lot. This is not now. Does Luke get a kickback for that? I don't know because Luther mm. Luther Campbell did not go to University of Miami. I don't think he has a college education at all. But he's connected to these schools. This happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. So that's kind of like going down the rabbit hole, to so, so to speak. Um, but as far as with Michael Orr's situation, his a little bit deeper because this family was pretty much lying, saying that they adopted him. They said it yeah. everywhere that they adopted him. You know what I mean? When they did it, you know, that's the bad thing about it. And at best, they highly implied it. Like there's scenes in this thing where she's saying stuff like, you know, and and look, by coincidence, the movie comes out on National Adoption Day. Yeah. Do you think it's a coincidence? I don't think so. So she's, yeah. you know, she either said explicitly or at least highly, um, you know, implied it. And um, another part, like, I thought Bob Costas didn't, um, like, I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about the story. I also want to talk about the documentary because the documentary was just, I don't know. I wanted more out. It wasn't terrible, but. I you didn't feel learn like, anything. Yeah, yeah. Or at least you didn't learn anything that, that wasn't already in what was out there. Except yeah. the one the one thing I like that they had, they had interviews with people from his life. I think that's nice because these people yeah, probably like never brothers had a And also a, a black family that actually took him in. Yeah, yeah. And that part was good. I feel like those people were totally ignored. Uh, in the build-up to the movie and everything. Yeah. And they were even erasing them, like saying, like, they acted like he was homeless and these people took him in from the streets. So it was nice that, uh, you that's, know. Now, that's the part that bothered me was the way they made, and I never watched the movie because I knew. terrible. Well, I knew what it was going to be just from the previews. I knew what it was going to be. Oh, this this poor young Negro with no family, mama smoked crack, he grew up in the projects, nobody loved him, and this white benevolent family. Like, come on, dude. Like, I, I already knew what this was going to be about. But yeah. it was a, <laughs> I think I texted to you, but there was a couple of clips that I saw, and it was like he was at their families for Thanksgiving, and they're all holding hands, blessing the turkey. And while they're saying the blessing, he's peeking his eye out at the food. Yeah. He's never eaten before. Yeah, so I, exactly. I, I, that now that's racism. Okay? And, and that he never had a bed and all this stuff. Right, right. The racism is in the movie. Now I don't yeah. know about the story if, if that happened in the story. If that's what they told uh, the, the director, the book, and- the book wasn't as bad as the movie. But I mean, the book was apparently full of misrepresentations as well. I read the book. Exactly. The book, the book is actually written very well because the guy Michael Lewis, uh, he's a piece of garbage. The more I learn yeah, about he's a him, piece of shit. Yeah, but. I have to give it to him. He, he's a, he's a good uh, writer. Like like he he can write in engaging prose and everything. Yeah. But uh, he just took he he was childhood friends with the uh, with the dad. Yeah, and he basically took everything he said at face value. And it seems like he barely even met Michael Orr. And he uh, was in interviews and stuff, adding to the narrative that he was a dumbass and everything. He, he basically said that basically he came over the house and asked him, "Who's this big black kid sitting on your couch?" And that was it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then the movie went and just shuck and jived it up even more. Like, oh, first yeah. off, the mother was not a big part of the book the way she is in the, 
you know, like in the like, story in the narrative. Yeah, they kind of girl buster and had um yeah, you know, Sandra Bullock uh, do all this stuff and this stuff that happens in the movie that's nowhere in the book. So I already hated the movie even before I heard this stuff, you know, because yeah. uh the book you know the book is really about to me for the most part, it's he did moneyball. And it's yeah, like I remember Moneyball. Money yeah, yeah, it's like Moneyball in that he really wants to talk about the rise of the position of left tackle. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And um, he likes to have a human story to wrap a kind of wonky, um, you know, nerdy story around. So he, you know, talks about uh, Lawrence Taylor and the infamous tackle, and you know, mm -hmm, how people mm -hmm. want to protect quarterbacks and you know protect mm -hmm. the blind side. And then mm -hmm. he um, found this human story he could write it around and. He has a lot of the white savior stuff in there, but he doesn't lean into it as hard as the movie does. The movie adds yeah. stuff where it's like um, these gangsters, uh, T-Dog from The Walking Dead playing the gangster who's taking uh, Michael Orr to the crack house to put him in the streets. Like, you shouldn't do all that football stuff and hang out with those white people. You need to be up here in this crack house. You know, it's yeah, some shit just, that never even fucking happened. Yeah, it never even happened. And then the sassy... Um, 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 Memphis mom like busting the crack house is like I'm gonna take this boy back and you can, you'll hear from me you, you know she's just Karen's all these gangsters these gangsters are like cow you know they've never seen a headstrong uh, no nonsense white woman like this before yeah and she just walks I'm sorry Mr. Johnson Mr. Yeah. Mr. Johnson don't get don't talk <laughs> back to Mr. Johnson yeah like, and he's the all there like, here, man. he's all there like meek and sheepish and everything at first like, yeah. why, would these, why would these gangsters want him even if he was big he, he was that's not even and that's not even how it works we've heard yeah. countless stories over and over and over again about how kids in the hood that had athletic talent the gangs and all of them would provide things for them so they didn't they weren't out there yeah From exactly Sean Johnson Sean Jackson Shaq, we've heard these stories over and over and over again. Yeah, they'd always be like, this, yeah. they'd always be like, this ain't for you. Yeah, yeah. They would literally kick your ass off the block. Yeah. You weren't allowed to be out there because they knew you was the one. I mean, even in here in Portland, in old Portland, I know dudes that went through that. Like, so so the narrative that, you know, the gangsters and, and the gang members are trying to bring you down is a bunch of bullshit, okay? And yeah, but, but, but again, mm -hmm. this movie, and I never even saw the movie, but after I saw the clips and the and the trailer of just the way they made him look, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, yeah, this, you know and what I'm saying? It's sad, man. And it's like also just this idea, like the way they portrayed him, you can barely even like read just a big goof and he doesn't know what's yeah. going on and everything. He didn't know nothing about playing football. He didn't yeah. know nothing about nothing. Just, just big, just like, dumb nothing. Yeah, just, just anything. Why would these, even if he is big, why would these gangsters be trying to force him to join, to join the gang? Like he was just a big, like they, they had him like he wasn't built for it at all. So why yeah. would they even... Hold on, you know what? I'm gonna uh, put the scene up for you, cause cause it's better to just see it. So he's coming back home to the projects. I'm looking for my mom. Yo, mom. Yeah, I seen Didi around. As a matter of fact. Oh yeah, she she usually stop by for a taste around this time. Yeah, so this is a drug dealer. He's looking for his mom. I guess this is the mom's crack dealer. I don't remember this in the book at all. Who knows if it's even true? I don't know. But uh, if the mom's like crack or not, I have no idea. I mean, something had probably happened with his mom. The fact that he had to be in foster care. But so to set the scene, he's going to the drug dealer to look for his mom. Time. Look, I tell you what, why don't you just come on inside? I'm going to get you a photo. We're going to chop it up like real folk. Just until she get him. Come on, now ain't nobody going to bite you, baby. So drug dealer's trying to get him inside to drink a 40 or whatever. Sorry, the goof goes in. Okay, I'll go in. Hey, hey. 
So now he's in this crack house. Yeah, a crack house where people are not only selling crack, but smoking crack. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. And it looks like an uh, Ikea apartment. <laughs> yeah. Damn. It's in the projects, but when you get inside, it looks like an Ikea apartment or whatever. It's like a, it's like a multi-floor apartment. And uh, I'm, the reason I'm visually describing, uh, even though you can, can see it, is because the audience can't see it. So that's why I'm like explaining the obvious for the people at home who are... She's giving him 40s. And none of these people look street at all. That's the best part. These people look like a BET Teen Summit. And yeah. Like, and you see the guy's chain, you know, yeah. with, with, an with, a, with a gun on it. Yeah, with yeah. an AK on it. Yeah. His name is T Bone. Yeah, probably. He, this guy played a character in Walking Dead called T Dog or T Bone. And it was it was just a stereotypical man. This guy. Football. Y'all know that uh, rich kid football ain't got nothing on that public school league. Niggas packing knives in they socks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I played a little ball myself back in the day. Yeah, you knew that though, right? Yeah, I heard. Little quarterback up there uh, at MLK. Yeah. Thank you, Of course, the is called MLK. You, Still playing ball with that JC? Nah, no, bro. man, Dave ain't with that no more. He with me now. This is what I call the the other part of the white savior trope is the black non-savior trope. Like the implication yeah. that uh, there's a lot of untapped potential in the black community, but none of them had white people to come save them. Like, you know, so they were never able to do anything. So you have all these examples in the scene of black people who everyone here, you know, used to be able to play football, but no white people came to save them. And they just had like uh, black men and drug dealers and yeah. uh, all these people. Crack, crackhead mamas. Crackhead mamas, all stuff keeping them down. Like, you know, there's no cops. There's nothing else to blame. Just uh, that. No systemic stuff. Just, you know, no no white people. As a matter of fact, look, I can open up a spot for you. I got tired of going to class. People always trying to tell me what to do. Well, in that case, then, uh, look him. Turn that up right there, little bitty bitch. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just messing with D, man. Ah, I heard uh, you staying on the other side of the Yeah, that's what Didi said. Said you got you a new mama. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. She fine, too. Yeah, she fine. See, the black man uh, <laughs> wants to rape the white woman is, is yeah. the thing here. You know, the black brute. He's, he's talking about stuff you want to do to that to that uh, fine white woman. Right. She got another kid. She got a dog. You tap that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you tap that, did you? Yeah. Big Mike. Big Mike that got a little piece, y'all. He can't stand himself now. <laughs> hey, Big Mike. He done lost, he done lost his mind. So now he's getting up because he's like, I'm going to just go away from my man at the apartment. <laughs> Hey, man, just go on ahead and uh, sit down, man. I'm just trying to find out a little bit about your fine wife. Because I like me some of that mommy daughter action. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Who in the hell is you telling to shut up? Got a gun. You showing a gun. Boss a cap in your fat ass. And then drive east to pay a visit to your old crock ass mom and a sweet little dog. Let's get something by the white people. Don't you say nothing about Miss Jones. It's just an incredible hug. He's just fucking up all the gangsters. It's into an action movie. He just turns into just incredible Negro instead of Incredible Hulk. Yeah, and now he's back to Green Mile. Now he's uh having a he's having a, a flashback of the hood. He's, look, he's, he's remembering all the trauma from the hood. Now he's gonna go Bruce Banner. They go the black social worker. Yeah, what I want to find is the part where Sandra Bullock comes in and rescues him. That's that's the worst part. Like 
Uh, and you know, this movie came out the same time as Pressure. Yeah. So all of these, all of these white savior weird horror movies for black people. These fucking horror movies. That's all this is. Is just horror. It's just a horror movie. And yeah, they got exactly away. What with it. is? Yeah, they got yeah. away with it. Yeah, it's terrible. Maybe, maybe this is a scene because I can't remember much about it. Hold on, this might be it. Hold on. So he's gone. No. Oh, I think this is. I think this is next. I think this is next day or something after he finished trash. <laughs> He goes, no. So I remember the wrong. I guess she didn't came after the crash. I, I forgot so much about this movie that we saw. Yeah. Michael was here? Yeah, but you tell him I'll be sending him around. Oh, he gonna get here. So Michael was here. Last night, gonna come by here and sneak me there and run off. Now, now, after Michael fucked him up and the whole crew like this, she just shows up to the projects dressed in high heels to the nines, just unscared yeah. at all. Like fuck out of here like if, if you can see her on the screen and see how she looks like there's no way she would be rolling that's the way they try to portray those white women in the south is like they some everybody's mama yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah. even they'll even the black kids in the neighborhood they mind miss johnson yeah yeah exactly she she's she's the mother of the big house you know yeah, she, yeah. she's she's the madam in the big house who went out to the um stables with the, the negroes yeah not even that she's she's in the big house she went out back to the fields to yell at the uh the Negroes where they live, you know, to ask if yeah. anybody took took her uh, pound of lard or something, you know. Took, like, did no, you take a biscuit? No, madam. No, we didn't take nothing. Yeah, it, it, this is what, what's happening right now. This is like uh, uh, the mistress of the house type of action. Yeah, tell them to sleep with one eye open. You hear me, bitch? No, you hear me, bitch. You threaten my son, you threaten me. You so much as cross into downtown, you will be sorry. I'm in a prayer group with the DA, I'm a member of the NRA, and I'm always packing. She got another 22 or Saturday night special. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it shoots just fine all the other days, too. Especially in front of his people, he's gonna let some some rich white woman talk to him. Sickening, like, that's some sickening shit, man. Oh my god. Yeah. Like he would let a woman like that talk to him in front of his people. You and know, the thing and the, is, when I heard, you know, Sandra Bullock and all these people say that they didn't know and all this kind of stuff. But when you read that script, yeah, you had to read that script. Like, what type of bullshit is this? Yeah, it's bad even without this stuff yeah. that came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 ridiculous. Oh, that's that's uh, that's something else. Um, There's no way even the actor who played Michael said that he didn't know. Look, bro, just say you needed a job. Bro. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? We, I, I, I'd rather you just tell me that you needed an acting job and you needed that check than I would you telling me that you didn't know that this was the story. There, there you know are some saying? lies that are so outrageous on their face. You don't even need to know the truth to know that this is a lie. Like, you Bullshit know, lie. Yeah. You know, someone just tell you something. Like, soon you see that scene and, you know, those uh, straight out of central casting uh, drug dealers, you know, it's, it's, come on. Like, there's no way you think this really happened anywhere no. on the planet, on the planet Earth. No, I wish, you know, I wish in the documentary that they went a little bit further and paralleled his story with what happens to a lot of other black athletes that it's, come from, you know, certain areas and how they end up living with white families. Not yes, adopted, but, they end up living with them. Yeah, because, you know, I don't think they really want to make it a systemic issue, make it like a bigger problem. You know, they want to make this as individualistic 
a problem. Yeah, like this possible. is just a one-time thing. This is not a one-time yeah. thing. I sent an article about LeBron and how the narrative has been that LeBron grew up in the projects and all this kind of stuff. No, LeBron lived with a white family when he was in high school. You know what I'm saying? Now, they didn't try to adopt him or nothing like that. I'm not saying that all these players, quote unquote, got adopted, but there's a lot of a lot of black athletes. The, the, the they, dynamics are funny. You said it again? The, the dynamics are uh, oh, kind of yeah. suspicious. Yeah. It's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. LeBron's, LeBron's one of them where you be like, damn, because when you hear about these major athletes, especially these days, we'll say in the last 25 years, they're not going to their city high school they're going to whatever whatever catholic whatever you know lebron went to saint vincent saint mary's you know what i'm saying which is uh a catholic school a private school it's not a school that you can just get into out here in portland you have central catholic you have jesuit high school i know plenty of black athletes from when i'm 42 years old from when i was in high school we played ball with these dudes all the way up to eighth grade and then we didn't see them anymore and then you find out they're going to jesuit or central catholic you know what i'm saying and they're living with some white family you know ain't nothing wrong with their family their family's just fine but yeah. they're living with this white family. You know what I'm saying? And just so it happens, the dad is one of the coaches or he's connected somehow or another. So, and I'm not just throwing LeBron in a bus. This happens to a lot of black athletes. You know what I'm saying? But specifically football, because football is such a rural sport. You know what I'm saying? Like I said before, you don't hear too much about big time football players coming from New York City, Chicago, um, not even really Miami, like like Miami Metro. No, maybe West Palm, maybe Fort Lauderdale, maybe um, somewhere in the middle of no, but not just like Miami. You know what I'm saying? It's very rare, you know, because football is such a rural sport. Some of the biggest, I mean, Jerry Rice is from somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? So Walter Payton's from the middle of nowhere, somewhere in Mississippi. So you don't really hear about big time football players coming from big time cities. So these, these, and these kids are, especially these days, these kids are going, they're not going to, I had a conversation with someone on Twitter a couple of days ago and they were talking about recruits, high school recruits. And they were talking about um, black players going to Notre Dame and they were trying to talk bad about Marcus, Marcus Freeman, who's a black coach who coaches at Notre Dame. And I just showed them, I said, well, if you go onto the recruiting websites, these black kids are not going to the city high schools like they used to kid the major kids are not going to crenshaw high school in south central and and dorsey high school in south central they're going to saint john bosco they're going to modern day you know what i'm saying they're not going to the hood schools no more those hood schools still exist and they still have football teams they're nowhere near as good as they used to be so these kids are going to bishop gorman in vegas or img down in uh brentonton california uh, florida so it's a little bit different these days so you can't fault the black coaches for having to recruit from these places because that's where our kids are going now. Now, who are they living with? So if you're a kid and you go to Bishop Gorman, Bishop Gorman has their own campus, all that kind of stuff in Vegas. The same thing with IMG down in Florida. So kids are coming from everywhere, but they're going to those schools. You know what I mean? It's a different thing now. So our kids are not in our communities playing football anymore, let, let alone basketball. You know what I'm saying? They're going to Sierra Canyon if you're playing basketball. So it's a, it's a different animal. And I don't think people, I, I wish that that documentary paralleled that and went a little bit deeper into those facts and what's going on with high school kids playing football and talking about how they're getting into these schools. Who's paying for it? Who, yeah. are, these quote, who are these quote unquote boosters? You know the what way, I'm saying? The way I feel about it, right? The same way that they wanted to really celebrate this story because it's post-racial and it makes um, white people look so good and everything. You know, when it first came out, Nani kind of took an L on it and they yeah. have to... Uh, you know, taking L on the narrative to a degree. But I think what they're still trying to do low key 
is preserve as much of it as possible. Like absolutely, to a large yes. degree, I feel like this thing is like the 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 Tuhis or how you pronounce their names. They kind of like sacrificial lambs now. They kind yeah, like, because they're uh, not the only families doing that. Yeah, not the only family, but I think like what the white media now is saying. Okay, this looks bad. It looks bad on us. It looks bad on everybody. Let's take the hit on this, but. Uh, while we're taking a hit on this, let's try to protect the rest of the narrative that this is this doesn't really happen that often. And when it does happen, it's usually a happy story. These are some um, bad apples, you know, and that's kind of part of what I had a problem with, like you're saying, yeah. with this documentary. It didn't really go past the article and it didn't really go deeper. And this is CNN and ESPN and Disney Money. They had uh, the resources to go deeper on this and do a but, real but expose if they the, wanted. But that hurts ESPN. Yeah, exactly. ESPN has network contracts with the Southeastern Conference, uh, uh, Southeastern Conference of College Football, which is the top conference in college football. Yeah. They have contracts with the ACC, contracts with the Big Ten. So that's a lot of money that's going a big down the problem. drain. That's a big problem telling. with ESPN. Uh, they have a conflict of interest in that they do sports programming and sports journalism absolutely and if you do too hard of sports journalism it's going to endanger your connections with absolutely. you know and your access to and all this stuff like how they shut down that uh nfl base show when, when the nfl was it was that playmakers yeah and that show was actually one of the few oh, it was good, a great show it was a great show Oh, yeah. Yeah, they oh, yeah. shut that down. It wasn't because of ratings. It wasn't because of buzz. Uh, the NFL and, uh, told them, if you don't take it off, we're going to we're gonna take Monday Night Football off ESPN. They literally yeah. told them that. Yeah, and oh, my God, Omar Gooding was so good in that, too. I feel yes. bad because I feel like that would have really helped his career a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's funny was is when what what made it worse was is when former players started coming out saying, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the show was based around the Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s. And when people were coming out, it was a one infamous story about the injecting the urine into the bladder because they couldn't pass a UA. It was true. And the NFL called wind and said, take the show off or Monday Night Football's done. We're yeah, go so, somewhere else with it. so yeah, I mean, it'd be much better if there was some kind of sports journalism channel that just did nothing but sports journalism. And then yeah. that might be a different beast. It wouldn't be so compromised. But yeah, um, CNN is owned by the same people who own ESPN. So yes, even though this is a CNN thing, they still have as much of an interest with corporate synergy of making sure that ESPN is not hurt by yeah, this. Absolutely. Which ESPN would be if um it went to too deep you know what i'm saying so yeah it's a big it's a big um mess it's and like how back in the day if you played video game and you didn't like madden you can go buy another fo football game but yeah. what ended up happening is electronic arts ea sports cornered the market and now you can't buy an nfl game unless it's madden mm. so you can't get sports news unless you're watching espn they're used you can fs1 but they don't do sports shows they just show the games back in the yeah. day there was fox sports northwest there was all these different networks cnn has sports tv had sports. The USA Network had sports. I don't know if people remember that. USA Network had sports. You can't get sports anymore unless you're watching ESPN. Uh, Fox Sports, I think, has um, foot, international football. I think they still have that. Well, they, but... they broadcast games. They just yeah. don't have journalism anymore. There is no... Oh. Because uh, they used to have their own quote unquote sports center, they don't have that no more. So now they have. Don't they have they hot have takes? Football. Don't they have hot take shows, right? No, they, yeah, they have hot take shows. That's it. Yeah, yeah. they have a debate yeah. show. FS1, the, the debate show with um, Skip Bayless. Yeah, you know yeah, which, which, which is it. not which is not journalism. That's just no, no. screaming hot takes. Yeah, got little, just add a little Wayne and everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna read this quick story um, from Vox, but 
I feel like if when you hear this story, you pretty much have. I think this. I think this show might have had even less than was in the article. To be honest, uh, was a was a it was from Vox. It's by Fabiola uh, Cineas, mm-hmm. and you can hop in at any time when I'm when I'm reading. You don't have to wait for me to finish the whole article. Yeah, for sure. But it's like was the blindsides white savior narrative built on a lie. Michael Orr says the story of his adoption by a white family was never true. And that they exploited him by Fabiolus Cineas. Um, the 2009 film *The Blind Side* tells the story of a white family on a heartfelt mission to save the life of "quote unquote" Big Mike, an unhoused. You tell a social justice type wrote this because they use unhoused instead of <laughs> homeless. Unhoused. Yeah, black 17-year-old who attends the local school with her son in Memphis, Tennessee. As many critics would later note, the tale was a classic quote-unquote white savior story that served to praise the goodness of white people and erase the nuances of a black kid's story of resilience. But audiences at the time heralded The Blind Side, which was based on a book of the same name as a tearjerker and the blueprint for a feel-good classic. Plus, it was all a true story based on the real events in the lives of Sean and Leanne Tuhoy, uh, Toihi and Michael Orr, who went on to play eight seasons in the NFL. Why did he really play that many seasons? Um, yeah, he played for a while. Yeah, the film earned more than three hundred million at the box office. It was nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, while Sandra Bullock took home the Oscar for Best Actress for her portrayal of family matriarch Leanne Toihey. I didn't know it was nominated for uh, Best Picture. I knew she went for Best Actress, but that's crazy yeah. to have nominated for Best Picture. That thing was, but you know, it was the Obama era. People were really into absolutely anything, anything yeah. post post racial. Right. In August, however, Orr, now 37, alleged that the crux of the story that a white family adopted him out of homelessness. See, it's weird. Why can you say homelessness, but you can't say homeless? You got to say unhoused. Like, like it doesn't make sense because, you know, mm. I guess unhousedness doesn't uh, work or there's no real way to kind of use it as an adjective. I, I don't know, but, but this kind of annoys me. Okay. Um, okay. I just want to say this. I know it's a digression, but I feel like there's this kind of thing that, uh, progressive people do now to make themselves feel good by playing these kind of weird word games that doesn't help anybody like uh is there really somebody who's unhoused or homeless who you know is struggling to find a place to live who's gonna nitpick you over um the etiquette of that of that word i think it's just a way of feeling like you're helping the solution without actually doing anything um useful you know to to become the language police right over, yeah but I'm, I'm sorry i just it, it annoys me that's bleeding into journalism but okay over said that he believed he was a legal member of the Toyhe family for nearly two decades that's crazy only to learn this year that he was not according to espn or filed a 14-page p- petition in tennessee shelby county this summer alleging that sean and leanne Toyhe never actually adopted him. Instead, the petition alleges they tricked him into a conservatorship, a legal agreement that gave them legal authority to use his name in business deals less than three months after he turned 18. The petition claims that the family used Aura to make millions of dollars from the popular book and 2009 film. Aura asked the probate court to end the conservatorship and bar the family from using Aura's name and likeness. The petition also requested an accounting of all money the toys had made since starting the conservatorship in 2004 and to pay or his share of the earnings in addition to damages in response to or's petition a tennessee judge on Feb- friday september 29th ended the conservatorship agreement saying she was shocked that it had ever been created because or was in his right mind and not physically disabled when he was asked to sign it according to the associated press the conservatorship allowed the toys to control or's finances for nearly two decades after the or's 
initial petition became public, the family said they would agree to end the arrangement. The judge allowed the rest of Ora's case against the toys to um, continue. Uh, another reason why I think this documentary is kind of a cash grab and was too soon uh, was that because of the legal case, uh, Michael Orr couldn't be interviewed because uh, he can't talk about the case before uh, it's done. He goes to a judge, yeah. Yeah, and these people uh, don't want to talk about it. So, like, um, I think this is the kind of thing they're going to have to do it over again anyway when the case is over so then they can talk to him more and they can talk to more people and a lot of fact-finding will come out, you know, so... but. Anyway, um, con continuing, uh, the news of Ora's claims against the Toyhees has proven shocking to those who continue to hold the movie in high regard. Sean Toy told the Daily Memphian that he was, quote unquote, devastated to hear about Ora's lawsuit and that it was, quote, upsetting to think we would make money off any of our children, end quote. So he's still calling them. His, his child. child, yeah. yeah. Sean S.J. Toy, the Toy's biological son, meanwhile, said that Orr was aware of the conservatorship before this year. He also denied making millions off the film, telling the host of Barstool Sports that he's received an initial additional sixty to seventy thousand over the course of the last few years. He added, "You will never." Um, hear me say anything bad about Michael Orr in any capacity other than I'm upset that he feels the way that he does. This summer, the family released a statement through their lawyer, Hollywood legal quote-unquote bulldog Marty Singer, who is also representing Lizzo and has represented Bill Cosby. The family alleged that already demanded $15 million from them, according to TMZ. If they refused to pay it, the statement says, Orr threatened that he would, quote, plan a negative story about them in the press, end quote. The statement also claims that the Tuohys have always been, quote, upfront about our conservatorship, from which not one penny was received, was established to assist with Mr. Orr's needs, end quote, including getting health insurance. The family further alleges that this isn't the first time that Orr has, quote, attempted to run this play, end quote. The Tories also later filed a response in court denying that, quote, they saw the petitioner as a gullible young man whose athletic talent could be exploited for their own benefit, end quote, according to the AP. Even as the case becomes more complicated by the minute, it is resurfacing many existing controversies around the blind side, particularly how it portrayed Orr as unintelligent and completely unreliant on the Toyhees, and how it capitalized on viewers' comfort with white charity and black suffering. Now many are pointing out how this new twist has validated long-time uneasiness with the film, showing that the white savior trope narrative uh, remains pervasive and obscures truth about exploitation. As the film depicts it, Michael was homeless, ripped away from his drug-addicted mother when he was seven, and navigating the grueling foster system. The toys, to the shock of Leanne's elite circle of friends, take Michael in and ultimately adopt him. But most of all, they encourage him to play football, setting him up for a career in the NFL. Orr became an All-American left tackle and later a first-round draft pick by the Baltimore Ravens. He helped the Ravens win the Super Bowl in 2013 with Leanne and her daughter Collins typically watching from the sidelines, then signed a $20 million multi-year deal with the Tennessee Titans in 2014. He was released due to a toe injury before playing for the Carolina Panthers in 2017. Orr's career ultimately earned him $34 million. According to Orr's petition, the star football player only learned of the truth of his relationship with the Toyhees this year. Michael Orr discovered this lie to his chagrin and embarrassment in February of 2023. 
when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented on the basis that doing so would make him a member of the Tory family, in fact, provided him no familiar relationship with the Tories, the petition, the petition states. The petition also revealed that the conservatorship continues to this day, and among Orr's requests is that the court term, uh, the Tennessee court uh, terminates it. Meanwhile, over the years, the Tories have continued to call Orr their adopted son, using the relationship to boost their foundation and other promotional work. In the court filing, they argued that they referred to him as their son, quote, in the colloquial sense, and they had never intended that reference to be viewed with legal implication. That's was, yeah. Something that was interesting in that movie today, I think they had they had a white guy. I wasn't sure who he was, but I think he might have been the actor who played the father mm-hmm. in um, the movie. And when they told him that he was never actually adopted, even that guy seemed shocked. Like he, he, was you know, he was, yeah, he was like, "Wait, really?" Like you know, so even some of even some of his own friends, people that Michael Orr went to college with, they're just now finding out about it, and they're not happy with it. Yeah, they were led to believe the same thing that that was his parents. Yeah, exactly. So he's, I mean, these people know they're lying by omission. Like, yeah, I mean, there's too much clearly bad stuff that they've done that we know about that for me to believe their stories about the conservatorship part, you know, but I think the other thing is too, is let's say even he did agree to it, that they're not lying, but um, he was 18 and yeah. that thing just makes no sense. Like, I think the court should have uh, stepped in on that. And that lady in the video even said it, like it's noted in the thing that there was nothing physically or mentally uh, wrong with him. So I was surprised even the court um, let it, let it happen, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. You guys got a physical and mental disability usually. And he also, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He was saying how, when he, uh, joined the NFL or, you know, was on the college team, well, actually, no, it was the NFL because it came out. The movie came out of the NFL. Uh, his teammates were surprised that uh, he was normal. <laughs> they, they thought he was yeah. going to not be they able to be was... the play, play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why they did the conservatorship, the reason why they did that is because they knew that he couldn't get into Ole Miss, Ole Miss. without it. Yep. So it's, this, is a, this is a whole long line of scamming where mm-hmm. basically get him into Ole Miss. We're going to get kickbacks from that because yep. he's one of the best offensive linemen in the country. And then we can also use this later on to write the story. These motherfuckers are millionaires. I think they said the dad sold his company for $220 million. And and she has speaking engagements, which makes a lot of money. And this exactly. is like the Black Lives Matter scam, right? It's the um, same thing. Yeah, one of the things that the lady says from Black Lives Matter, she strategically lies when she says, oh, I didn't use these donations directly. I wasn't paid a salary. You know, this is yeah. very specific. Or I didn't pocket this year's donations you know i bought my house with it's money the, it's, the, it's the nonprofit scam yeah. where you rake in all this money you give yourself a quote-unquote salary mm. and then you hide the rest of the money pay the government that way you don't have to get brought up on tax fraud and misappropriation of funds you put the money into other organizations where you're going to get that money back yep you know what i'm saying that kickback it's just this, it's the same shit but so, something that the uh patrice color said that I think is very similar to what this woman says, right? Patrice uh, Carlos was like, oh, I bought these houses with money from my speaking engagements. I bought these houses with money from my Water Brothers deal. But you only got those deals because of Black Lives Matter for your phony activism. So, you know, um, she had the speaking engagement business and this inspirational speaking business and this... uh, nonprofits and stuff and a lot of those donations and stuff probably came because she was able to say i'm the blindside lady you know she can do all this stuff so even if say she didn't directly get his nfl salary them saying oh we only got like sixty thousand of his finances we only got this amount from the movie they still got a lot in secondary ways 
as well. So it's, well, they shouldn't uh, have gotten a dime yeah, because exactly. they shouldn't have been selling the story. Mm-hmm. Period. Point blank. You know what I'm saying? So it's, like you said, it's the same thing as Patrice Colors. You wouldn't have gotten that. You know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for him. Yep. And then you come out and you say, oh, but we we gave him $130,000. Uh, $130,000 of what? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Of what? $20 million? Yeah, exactly. What did you get? Yeah, exactly. You know? It's the same. It's a scam, you know? And it's crazy because although the people are saying, no, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know. Eh, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I thought most actors do a little bit of research on a role that they're going to play. You know what I'm saying? They don't just step in and say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then all of a sudden you're in a movie. I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I thought it didn't work that. I mean, I'll say this. Even without the research, right? Like the research makes it all worse, but just within the context of the four corners of the of the screen the screenplay page, that thing was fucked up. It was fucked <laughs> like, up. Like if you saw that movie, you saw a little bit I showed you. If if you saw that movie, you don't even need to know the, the real story to know yeah. it's bad. I mean, the real story just makes it four times worse. Worse, but, yeah. Yeah, especially uh, the whole drug dealer said, yeah, I gotta do a tag team. I'm that mother and daughter. You leave me alone. <laughs> and he just all of a sudden turns into big overgrown Negro. Yeah. <laughs> with with their Ikea drug dealing apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, where, where's all the, the what, all that was missing was jive turkey and all that type of shit. That's the only thing that was missing. Yeah. You it, jive it, ass it, niggas. It was, it was like, they were like, we got to research uh, black people. We don't actually want to go see any. Uh, we don't want to go to that part of town. Uh, Let's watch the boondocks. Let's watch the boondocks and took some characters yeah. from that. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a documentary, right? Yeah, we, we can use this kind of depiction. It works. I see no difference between that and Precious. And, and, and you know, um, that's another thing. I would like, I totally agree. That's another thing where I think this thing came short. They left the author, Michael Lewis, off the hook a lot. And Michael Lewis had that weird relationship with Sean Toy. He did mm-hmm. no research, barely knew or met Michael, or he just took a lot of people's words on it about what he was like and he's been throwing shade on him uh since like you know he's been perpetuating the stereotype that he's dumb and after head yeah yeah and then after he found out that he was suing he blamed it on cte and you know yeah well because now it puts his whole credibility as a writer in jeopardy yeah because he because this is not Mm -hmm. the only movie this is the second movie that he got uh second book that got made to a movie because moneyball became a movie also so he's on he's on a roll right now he don't want that money train to stop he said that uh, he recalled aura as a shy young boy and found it hard to square that memory with the aura behind the lawsuit quote what we're watching is a change of behavior he told me this is what happens to football players who get hit in the head they run into problems with violence and aggression he all of a sudden became a neurologist yeah exactly it wouldn't surprise him lewis said if we were seeing some confluence of aura's history in football with other campaigns that stole claims and lawsuits like his. Perhaps some lawyer of Aura's figured the time was ripe to sue the Tuhis, Lewis speculated. Or perhaps Aura realized people would, quote, get behind him if he makes these accusations. So, and there's also this quote of him kind of in an interview throwing shade on Michael Orr. I remember this is somebody who, by his own admission, barely even met him, but he's comfortable saying this about him. Inside, before we open it up to questions, I think I and everyone who reads this book comes away from it wondering what happens to Mike. One of the first things I did I read was going to Google and look him up. Um, can you give us an update on how he's doing academically? Google him now. I Google him now. Okay. Um, he's on the Dean's List at Ole Miss, which is, says a lot about the Dean's List at Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, he, uh, but you know what? In fairness to Michael, uh, 
You know, Bear Bryant had that funny line. The, the former coach of uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, once let, he once said to a reporter, we want to have a school that makes the football team proud, or that the football team can be proud of. Uh, and um, a lot of these schools sort of have inverted their purpose in life, that there are schools like Ole Miss, but Ole Miss is not even the best example, that seem to exist mainly so that they can sustain a football team. And they then take these kids, many of whom are from the underclass, poor black kids from ghettos around America, and let them into the school, get them in however they can get them in, and then they create a track inside the school. And the track is not designed for them to get an education or even to actually engage with the school outside of the football team in any way. It's designed to keep their grade point average to the level where they can continue to play football. And if you watch serious football schools, Florida State's for that, on TV, they're always selling you the idea, of course, the NCAA, they, they're always selling you that this is actually a school behind this football team. And so they show you, they show you pictures of the school on TV, and sometimes they'll flash up the players, they'll even list what their majors are. <laughs> They shouldn't do this because it's too much of a clue. But if they do, when they do this, and it's it's uh, criminal justice or sociology, or sometimes it makes you shatter journalism. Uh, <laughs> uh, each school has its major for the football team. They're all. For Virginia Tech, they're all sociology majors. In Florida State, they're all criminal justice majors. They're, they've been on the track, and it's one program. And all this, it is indeed criminal justice. And all the football, all the poor black football players are majoring in criminal justice. And um, the the uh, the, uh, the tri great tribute to Michael is that he has actually got engaged with his studies, and he quit the criminal justice program six months ago, and announced that he, because he was such a good writer, he was going to embark on a journalism career after he finished finished playing in the NFL. So he went into what is actually a fairly legitimate journalism program, which is far more taxing than the criminal justice. So he's actually taking courses alongside ordinary students, which is more than can be said for most of football players. As a player... So there's a lot going on in yeah, the... Now, um, just for people that don't know, um, a lot of high school or college football players are funneled into these degrees for the simple fact that not so it's easier for them. The reason why is because they don't have the time. You don't have them. If I told you what a college football player's average day is, 99% of people wouldn't be able to do it. One. Two. All them other different programs, they don't exist if college football don't exist on that campus. And I'm talking about all of these universities. That's why it was such a big deal about NIL and players being able to get played for their name, image, and likeness. Okay? So laughing about these players, these uh, athletes who get worked to death and still go to school. You have players like Myron Rowe, who was an All-American at Florida State University and is a Rhodes Scholar and is actually a doctor right now. Yep. Myron Rowe is also the same brother that, uh, what's that girl's name tried to accuse him of sexual assault and it was all a lie? Uh, Amanda Seals. Amanda Seals. Myron Rowe is an actual Rhodes Scholar and a doctor. A lot of athletes, what they'll do is they'll play college football go to the NFL and then come back and get the degree that they want. Majority yeah. of the majority of college football players don't stay in college for four years. Yeah. And, and also like they're pursuing like their careers and it's a, this is their lot, career. Of, it's a yes. lot of work. They're majoring in football. Yes. That is their real major. It's not because they're like stupid or whatever. And this is, but this is what bothers me about that quote. It's not new. This wasn't invented with black people. No. When, when white 
football players were the majority of the college football players. It was the same thing. It was like, the like, same thing. It was he's the same making it thing. seem like this is some kind of special dumbing down system created for for uh, black players, for black people, because it's and, too and, stupid. And, and and let's also not forget that college football. There's over 130 Division One college football programs. Okay, over 130. So even the kids that go to Princeton and Dartmouth and Columbia and Fordham, they play football there too. It might not be on TV, but they play football too. Guess what? They're on the same schedule, same yeah. damn schedule, and they're. They're taking the same damn degrees, okay? Yep. You can't take a rigorous degree with the time load you have no. playing college. Like, that's a, it's the time load of being, like, on a real team. Like being a, it literally a real, is. Yeah, real professional Playing teams. college football is more demanding than playing NFL football for the simple fact that in the NFL, all you have to do is play football. Yeah. That's all you got to do. And your and your and your scholarships are not guaranteed. Those days have gone. I don't think they guarantee scholarships probably in the last 20 years. Now you're on a year by year contract. If they don't want to renew your scholarship at the end of the year, they don't have to. You look at a situation like Colorado with Deion Sanders, where he walks into a meeting with all the players. He's a new coach and he tells the players, you can't play here. So now what do you do with their scholarship? Where do they go? They got to find somewhere else to go and play football so they can get the scholarship. Right. So whatever the fuck he's talking about, he what he's doing is he's that's an old trope. Those are the old tropes coming from the 70s, 60s, 70s yeah. that black football players are dumb. You know what I'm saying? As if and then they'll lead you to believe that there are no white football players. Man, all the football it, players in America are black. If you actually understood football besides just uh guy you throws a ball. You can't be dumb and play football. Yeah. If you don't understand it beyond just guy throws a ball and another guy catches it, if you actually understood what kind of plays they had to memorize and yeah, you can't be dumb. It's it's a lot to learn. Like you are Man. studying it's a it's a course load to learn all those plays, to learn all that strategy to do all that I asked, stuff. I yeah. asked somebody, there was a lady on Twitter and she follows me and she was at, she didn't watch football. You know what I mean? And she literally asked me, what's the best way for me to learn? Cause she, she, it looks interesting. She wanted to learn. And I told her like this, I said, in one game, I said, football is the only sport besides baseball where they actually teach you the game while you're watching. Right. I said, while you're watching it in one game, you're going to learn more than you would have learned in the last six years talking to someone. I said, by the end of the year, you're going to understand the salary cap. That's how definitive and how descriptive the game is because you cannot be a dummy and play this game. It doesn't, it's not just uh see ball, throw ball, I catch ball, I run ball. No, that's not the way it works. Football, it, I always tell people like football is a game where it's like a mathematical equation. That's what football is. You know what I mean? Every Like they say, it's quote unquote, a game of inches. It's a mathematical equation of how this game works. Now, if you're a casual and you just want to watch it because you're playing fantasy football and all that kind of stuff, that's different. I don't play fantasy football. I played this game. I played it in, on the high school level and the college level, and I could understand the mathematics of the game. A person like him, the way he describes it to everybody else he describes it with those old tropes that, you know, you put these big Negro ogres on the football field. Well, you got to remember, there was a one point in time where black people couldn't even play Division One football unless you were going to an HBCU. They also said that black people couldn't play quarterback because they weren't smart enough and yeah. all these kind of things. So why is it that when the black players are playing, they're dumb, but the white players, they're smart? Wait, they don't read the same playbook? They're not playing on the same team? Oh, OK. Checking. You know, I've seen an NFL playbook. That motherfucker's over 1,500 pages. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't even want to read that shit. 
did. You can you <laughs> you there's a guy named JT O'Sullivan. JT O'Sullivan has a YouTube channel and it's called Quarterback School. And he pretty much goes through the game of the week, whatever that is, and he'll go through plays and tell you exactly what's supposed to happen, what the quarterback is thinking, the way it's designed. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, okay. I've actually seen that channel, and I understood very little of it. So exactly. Very, I'm, I'm subscribed. I'm subscribed to uh, that channel, and it's like I have to keep pausing and stopping, especially to play off the ball. Like, yes, a lot of people only pay attention to what's happening with the ball, and even that's complicated. But if you understand the, the amount of things happening at once in a split second, uh, you really can't absorb a play in just one. The average football play watch. lasts about seven seconds. So yeah. when you when you're watching a diagram of football, it's starts up front which is the offensive lineman so a person like uh michael Orr, you got to be pretty goddamn to me personally the hardest position to develop is the offensive line because you can be six foot nine 340 pounds but can you drop step can you block can you be the the blind side quote unquote no pun intended the blind side for the quarterback because on the other side, those defenders, they have their own technique and things that they're doing to confuse you. It's a lot going on as compared to the way they'll lead you to believe that it's just if you're bigger than everybody else, you'll be fine. I know a whole lot of dudes that are in this, you know, six foot four, six foot five. They couldn't play football. They couldn't do it. It's too it's too physically demanding and it's mentally demanding. It's probably more mentally demanding than it is physical. There are a whole lot of physical freaks out there that cannot play that game, you know? So it's a little bit more in-depth. And like, like we were talking about with J.T. O'Sullivan, if you watch his YouTube channel, he's teaching it as slow as he can. But it's a lot. So if, and for, for him, and he was not a big-time quarterback. He made it to the NFL. He only played a couple of years, and he wasn't very good at all. But he's a student of the game. So when you're listening to him, now imagine being uh, somebody else, Peyton Manning or Michael Vick, all these dudes that played in the NFL that played it for a long time. How fast your mind has to be going. Yep. And yep. then and th but then the physical part of it. So I gotta be physically adept to this, plus have the mental fortitude to understand what I'm seeing. Like a lot of, you hear a lot of people talk about Tom Brady. I, I saw an interview with Tom Brady once, and they asked Tom Brady, um, is there a defense that he's never seen before? And he sat back and he thought about it and he said, No. Do you know how fucking smart you have to be to say some shit like that? If you if you Google the phrase unconscious genius at athletes, there's been a bunch of like studies and different articles and and neuroscientists who do fMRI scans of athletes' brains. And you just talk about like all the things that uh uh, specific calculations that a athlete has to make and the cognitive load that they have to have to like keep the play in their mind while also watching what's happening in the field and make adjustments. And I think a lot of people who think about college football, they have the stereotype from like, you know, those teen movies. They think the jocks just sit around yucking yeah. it up and throwing the pigskin and they're busy doing all the work and the jocks have nothing to do but, you know, just throw a ball around. But the reason why the jocks can't be as totally immersed in the schoolwork as they are and study all those hours because they have a lot of actual homework, not just they got to do physical practice. Yeah. They also have to do a lot of uh, studying. There is a mental uh, work part, but I think a lot of people don't, don't really realize that. But I feel there, like there, there's, he's in, smart in enough to know that, Michael Lewis. I don't Oh, yeah, yeah. He knows that. He knows yeah. he, he knows that. What he's doing is he's trying to dumb it down so that if anything, if anyone does come after him for a lawsuit, he can just say, oh, that big dummy. He don't he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just he's got CTE. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It helps, that, it helps that, the narrative. Know, 
It helps the narrative. Now, you know, football is such a complex game. Like even these days, you know, they want players. I'll tell you a short story, as a matter of fact. So there is a um, when they give you game film to go home and study, it's on a DVD. When you watch it, they can tell how many hours of it you watch. Now, I don't know how the fuck they do that, but they have that technology that they have these laptops that they give you with all this information on it. And they can tell if you even opened it up, watched it or anything. There was a, a, a young a young man this this year that plays for Colorado and they they were the media was asking Deion Sanders why this kid wasn't playing. He said, well, we give everybody laptops and we noticed that he had no hours of how much film he had watched wow so so now before that before that technology existed there was a player named jamarcus russell he was a number one draft pick big time quarterback came out of college lsu goes to the raiders and um he wasn't playing very well so the coaches gave him some dvds to go and look at the offense because people don't know the what we see on tv is not coaches film the coaches film looks entirely different coaches film is what jt o'sullivan uses on his youtube channel so they he gives them the film and then they come back later on and they're asking him, so, you know, uh, you know, the DVDs, man, what, what plays did you like? And he's, oh, I like some of them, you know what I mean? And the coaches started looking at each other like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. The reason mm. why is because there was nothing on the DVDs. Oh, I actually remember this story. They just wanted to know if he was studying at all. Yeah. He was supposed to come in and say, hey, man, there's nothing on these DVDs. So immediately they're thinking, oh, shit, we got the wrong guy playing quarterback, which is the most important and hardest position to play. Well, his career only lasted two, three years and he was out of the league. Yeah, yeah. I remember remember the blank dvd <laughs> yeah you know what i mean that's the type of stuff because this is a this is big business okay you know what i mean like deshaun watson everybody know the situation he got into off the field well he just broke a bone in his shoulder he's out for the season that's 230 million dollars guaranteed gone and they got to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback and they don't have the money to pay anybody like this is business so yeah you got to be intelligent to play this game you have to be quick with your mind and stay in physical in physical peak condition because the first thing that's going to give out on you is your body. And if you're playing NFL football, I tell people this all the time. They say, what is playing football like? It's like being in a car wreck for an hour and a half. That's what and, and being able to have your mind at its peak condition to be able to understand what's going on. There's been t- there's been times I know this happens in. It's happened to me, and I know it's happened to other football players that you know the plays, you've read the playbook, everything. You go to the huddle, they'll tell you the play. As soon as they say break, you forgot that fast. You forgot what you're supposed to do, and you're you want to you want to you don't want to be embarrassed, but you, and you don't want to you don't want to hold the team back, and you want to ask somebody, what am I supposed to do? And there's been times where they'll look at you like what, and everybody's look on their face like oh shit, he doesn't know what he's doing. Everything's fucked up if you don't know what's going on. So this is how much goes into it. It is it, and that's why I think um, a lot of these players start having mental health issues because it's such a mentally taxing sport. You know what I mean? It's not like the NBA or Major League Baseball where you have time. You know, people talk about with the NBA, there was a conversation saying, you know, why don't these players um, play any defense? And Isaiah Thomas, the old Isaiah Thomas said, well, the stuff that that you do in the NBA, they don't have time to teach you that in the NBA. You're supposed to learn that in eighth grade. But you notice they junked it. They just said, okay, well, fuck it. We're just not doing that. See, the NFL is not like that. The, the core principles of football that existed when Vince Lombardi was coaching still exist to this day because you need all 11 guys to be on the same accord. So calling someone dumb or thinking someone is dumb, there's no way. There's, there's yeah, absolutely yeah. no way you could be dumb and play that game. Like like ba- like basketball can be very, very uh, very smart. basic. Yeah, it can be very smart, but it could also be very basic as in if everybody's not playing, you know, 
um, with complicated plays, then you can just put five guys on and have them do ice ice ball. You have five yeah, guys. If one guy ball. is just better than everybody else, then he's just better. Yeah, yeah, but with football, it doesn't it doesn't work. You can't just throw a football team together and just have no. everyone do ISO football. No, <laughs> it'll just be, no, he'll just be uh, a mess. I mean, you play much better basketball if you have a team that can actually do pick and right. rolls and real plays and whatever. But if you don't, you, you you can get away with it every now and then because you got the best player in the league. Exactly. The team might not be shit, but you can get away with it every now and then. You yeah. know, Michael Jordan did that before they were really good. Michael Jordan was still scoring 60. Yeah, exactly. But you can't you can't really do that. You can't just have one guy just no. carry the team. No, and, uh, no. Football. It's not going to work. No. The guys that everybody say are the greatest quarterbacks, Dan Marino, people still to this day say he's the greatest quarterback. He never won a Super Bowl. He got there one time, never got back. Why? Because all the other pieces weren't there for him. You know what I'm saying? You need yep. those pieces. It, it's, it's really the, the ultimate team sport. You know what I mean? In baseball, you can you can play small ball in baseball and win a World Series, or you can play baseball and have the best pitching and the hitting not be all that and still win a World Series. It's happened before. But in football, you don't have an offensive line. If you don't have, you know, the most important thing is can you protect the quarterback and can you get to the quarterback? If you can't do those two things, you can forget it. You know what I mean? So it's just it's just a mentally taxing, physically taxing game. And I I have a friend of mine named Willie. He went to University of Idaho, played football. Then I have another friend, Noah. He played college. And I send them clips all the time on Instagram. And they say the same stuff all the time. Man, I'll never let my son play this game. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They say it all the time. Now, Willie played big-time Division One football. I didn't play at his level. You know what I mean? But I, I understand what college football is like. Because even at the small level I played on, that shit was a job. It was not a game anymore. It was a job. And I didn't like it. You know what I mean? Me and Mario talk about this, how football kind of left a sour taste in my mouth because I didn't, I wasn't expecting it to be what it ended up being. You know what I mean? And this is pre-internet, you know, the kids have it today a little bit easier these days. But it's like, dude, I didn't know that my body was going to betray me one day. I didn't know that it was going to be a job. I didn't, you know, we all had that dream that one day we would go to the NFL. Once I got to junior college, not even just the, before I got to division two, when I got to junior college, I knew I was like, oh yeah, that shit ain't happening. It ain't going to be no NFL in my future. <laughs> it's not mm. happening. It ain't happening. You know what I mean? And I and I came out of high school. There was a guy that's from the state of Oregon that made it to the NFL Hall of Fame, Troy Polamalu. He's from Oregon. He went to high school here. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what it was about him, how he did it, but it didn't work out for me. It didn't work out for a lot of people. It's just, it, it's not, if it's not in the cards for you, it is not in the cards for you. You know what I mean? So if you can handle it, you know what I mean? If you have any type of hangups, you know, and that's why, um, and you remember Casino, the movie Casino? Yeah, uh, the guy Ace Rothstein. Mm -hmm. They say he was such a handy, such a great handicapper of sports because he could get information about players that nobody else could get. So he knew that if a player had a baby on the way, or got into a fight with his girlfriend, or had a drinking problem, had a drug problem, you would see it on the field. Now he knew this information, but nobody else knew. So you're wondering why? Did, why are they playing like shit? Well, there's some stuff going on. So now you got all this stuff going on in your personal life, and you still have to be at your peak mentally and physical. To be able to play this game, good luck, good luck, good luck. You know what I mean? There's a player named um, Tyron Smith. He plays for the Cowboys. I think he still plays for the Cowboys. He got drafted. He got a big-time contract. He had to put a restraining order out on his parents because they wanted money. He gave them money, and then he wanted more money. They wanted more money. They started threatening him. He had a girlfriend. They were threatening her because she was trying to help him, like, keep his family at bay. They started threatening her. Like, it, it's, it's a lot of crazy stuff going on as a professional athlete that 
I can understand why dudes just, you know, fall out of the league. It's just a lot of stuff going on that they can't handle, you know? So it's the end of my football rant, but I'm, you know, it's a lot. It's it's just a yeah. lot for, for a person like him to say that basically Michael Orr is dumb. Like, no, fuck no. Hell. And at the end, he gives him a little bit of credit, but it's such, yeah. back, it's such backhanded praise. It's like, you know, like uh, he wasn't totally dumb, you know? At the end, he did consider entering my profession and, you know, he was, he was as dumb as the other dummies, at least, you know? Right, it's like, it's right. Like such faint, and I feel like he's another one to let off the hook because uh, in this uh, documentary, because um, they might not want to burn bridges with him. He's a exactly big time, exactly time like yeah. It felt, it felt, it all felt a little too compromised. Like, like they weren't going too hard on on Michael Lewis. They didn't really go very hard on the filmmakers. Like I won't let them talk to the screenwriters and the makers of the film and say, "How did you come up with this narrative?" Because they took it even beyond the book. You know, right. talk talk exactly. to Michael. Talk to Michael Lewis. Be specific. Be more specific about other stuff that, like, I don't know. They could have just done a much better. It's not terrible, as in you're not going to walk away with any wrong information. You might as well watch it. But that Vox article I just read, if you if you watch that, you'll get most of the same stuff. If you want to just yeah. hear and see other people in his lives and, you know, hear their voices, that's that's a reason to watch this. It's short. That's another reason. You know, you get 48 minutes. So, yeah, yeah. there's worse ways to kill time. But. Like, like, it's not terrible, but I wouldn't, like, rush out to uh, recommend it. I'll tell people just read a couple of articles if you, yeah. you're short on you're short on time. Um, Bob, Bob Costas was another one who didn't have a lot of insight to add, but at least he had personal experience because he was around when, you know, it was a hot topic. So he could at least share stories of interviewing them and whatever. And some of the people were better than some of the others. Again, I think to me, I think Carrie Champion was probably the worst. Um, yeah. Everyone else was 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 competent and had had insights. And um, Bob Cos, they either had insights or they just had firsthand experience. Like like in Bob Cos's case, he had firsthand experience of talking to people and remembering things that were fishy and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, your... and Bob Cos is good at is good. And you know, I didn't know Bob Cos was as old as he is, but um, Bob Cos is good at what he does. So I'm yeah. sure just him talking and his mind going at the same time, he can figure out how to put the words where they need to be. But Bob Costas doesn't cover college. I don't think Bob Costas, Bob Costas hasn't covered college football since the early 90s. Yeah, and he was never really a um, analytical guy. He was more the guy that just had all the stats to, um, you know, share. You know, like yeah. he always had a million stats, which is important. You know, that's part of what's what's needed and everything. But I never really heard him like break down a play or anything no. like that. No. He just kind of said, you know, uh, in the past 30 years uh, of, yeah. game, of game sevens, the Boston Celtics right. went down 22.6. <laughs> have only one and you can tell someone's feeding him these these crazy statistics it's like you know uh the yankees in 46 years went down two two runs he's, he's a he's six. a great he's a great historian of baseball bob yes. Costas is, is one of the he has a he used to have a show they used to come on fox sports um where it was about the history of baseball it was great man i loved it but he's the guy like i think bob Costas was on the air doing the finals when oj was in the bronco i think it was bob Costas and magic johnson or Bob Costas and, and Isaiah Thomas, or it was a former NBA player, but it was Bob Costas. I believe Bob Costas was the one doing the uh, announcing of the Knicks and the Rocket when they clicked over to uh, OJ in the um, Bronco. I could be wrong, but I believe that. But I don't know. I, I don't think uh, I don't. Bob Costas is more of a history guy, like yeah. Al Michaels. Al Michaels is he knows the game, but he just does a good job announcing it. Yeah. 
know what I'm saying? But it's yeah, like, as a matter of fact, he's about to do it right now. But um, yeah, Bob Costas has a great speaking voice. He's yeah. also very good at telling stories. The stats used to make me laugh though, because oh yeah, they don't oh, te- yeah. they don't teach you anything in those stats because like you know, <laughs> it's saying like past fifty years, uh, the Yankees have done this. But you know how many <laughs> yeah. different teams the Yankees have had? Like, what does the Yankees oh, of dude. 1936 tell me about the Yankees of 1986? Like, Absolutely nothing. And, and that's not the same guys. But you know, it's funny. It's funny you said that, T, because that's something that I've always talked about: why baseball will last longer and the NFL will last longer than the NBA is because they honor their history. Yeah, Bob even if it Costas, makes no sense. Even if it makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, even in if the it context. makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it'll be some guy, Lefty Grove, some guy that died back in 1923. He pitched. 36 games in a row. You'd be like, oh, that record's never going to be broken. Well, no shit. You know what I mean? Like, of course that record's never going to be broken. So it's like stuff like that. They, they, they care about the history of their league so much that even to the point where they'll tell you some stats, you'll be like, I don't even understand why the fuck I needed to know this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're trying to say it like it's going to reflect on whether this Celtics team is going to win. Yeah. Like, you know, not since 1969 has the Celtics won with uh, being down. <laughs> Nobody five. on the Celtics team was alive at that yeah, time. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> the 1969 Celtics, you might as well bring up the 1969 Pee Wee League. Uh, of, yeah. Of the Detroit. Because it's they have just as much relevance to these Celtics as they do those. They do those those trivia questions. Oh, today's trivia: Who was the only player in Yankee history to hit a home run out of the stadium that bounced off of the salt factory <laughs> in 1931? You'd be like, I didn't. There's no salt factory there anymore. The Yankees don't even play in that stadium anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. And it'll be some guy, Ducky Johnson. Ducky Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was interesting. Like you know, it, it wasn't useful, but it was interesting. But but Costas, like, if you just want to say. Hey, here's a fun trivia topic. That's that's fine. But what we still about Costas. He would contribute it during a game. Like it was gonna oh, yeah. help you. Like it was gonna help you figure out how this game was gonna turn out. Like you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> just drawing parallels all over the baseball diamond. Like Bro, yeah. I don't, I don't think that matters anymore. One, the Yankees <laughs> don't play in that stadium. All of those players are dead. <laughs> yeah. These people have no. They never played with those players. Mm-hmm. They were never coached by them. <laughs> They're all dead, Bob. Why does that yeah. matter? You know. But I think that's how they create. Uh, what do they call those? That's not a legends home. lore. Yeah, like how they kind of jinx teams. Yeah, curses and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they create curses like that, like the curse of the Bambino. I'm like, Bambino's yeah, exactly. been dead, I think, since the 60s. Yeah, no one, no one involved in that decision is still nobody, around. nobody. But yeah. they, but. The fans latch on to those old stories and they bring them along with them, like the curse of the Billy Goat with the Cubs. They they put on to that stuff and they bring it in and they make it real. That's the thing is like, it's not real, but they'll make it real so that whenever they do lose, curse of the Billy Goat. It's so bad to where, I believe it was in 2006, whatever year it was, someone actually took a goat into this bar to reverse the curse. When, when, when those curses get when those curses get broken, do they ever come up with a reason? Like, was there ever an officially accepted reason why uh, God lifted the curse from the no, Red Sox? No, no, the, it'll be like <laughs> it'll be like some guy in the crowd who was like who's like 109 years old. And he was like the last living person that watched the Cubs win their last World Series. <laughs> like, man, this motherfucker is dying, bro. He can't even see. Because <laughs> like, this is not a real thing. This is not real. You got to let it go, man. Like they fished out this piano. There was a piano that uh, Babe Ruth threw in a river or some shit like that when he got traded to the Yankees. So they figured the Red Sox fans fished. They found this piano or tried to find it and fish it out so that they could reverse the, the curse of the Bambino. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? And it didn't work. I mean, the Red Sox were still losing. It was like, dude, you guys are trying anything. Like, you're going too deep into this. <laughs> fans are crazy, man. Yeah. I love Babe Ruth because that guy just looks like he ate like uh, red Hot meat dogs. every day. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Sure. He just did his thing. You know, it's funny. Um, I, you know, I love baseball, but um, there's pictures of because people always try to make it like Babe Ruth, depending on who you talk to, but make it like Babe Ruth was a racist and all this kind of stuff. And then then you have people saying, yeah, I believe Babe Ruth have African ancestry, man. Look at oh, his yeah, nose. Oh, yeah, because his nose. His nose is thing. <laughs> people kept saying that he was a... Uh... Oh, man, so hilarious. <laughs> but there's pictures of Babe Ruth um, playing baseball games in front of black crowds, like barnstorming, you know what I mean, where mm. you know, uh, during the summertime you know, whenever the major leagues was not playing and there's like pictures of like all these black people like hanging off the rails and shit. Like black people love Babe Ruth. You know what I mean? This is in the 1930s, you know, but it's always hilarious how this story always turns into from Babe Ruth was a racist because he didn't want black players to play in the major leagues, which is not true. Then it's, it's he got African ancestry because of his nose. And I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here, man. Oh my God. I don't know what, I don't know where Babe Ruth's family comes from. I have no idea. If but. you ever want to see a hilarious movie, you should watch, it's one of my favorite movies uh the babe root story yeah uh, from 1946 with William Bendix, that thing is hilarious because you could tell they were like, you know, you know, that'd be great for a Babe Ruth story. We should learn about his life. <laughs> no, really, I don't think so. But that's how that's, that's crazy talk. Let's just write it. I mean, this thing just is just pure fairy tale, and oh yeah, it's pure hagiography. Hey, you know, like it's pure like uh, like that one guy playing his whole life is William Bendix, and he was like I think older than Babe Ruth already. Right. Um, right. Right, and right. he's playing him as a kid and they put him in these like overalls and suspenders and, and put like a beanie on his head and try to pass him off as a kid. That's hilarious. And they have him discover that he can pitch and the ball is clearly on a wire and um, they just make a real tearjerker, sappy, um, butt-kissing cat type of movie, you know, um, and 90% of the score is take me out to the ball game, but play different ways. <laughs> like when when like his mom is gonna die, you hear like you know, played with violins. But then when there's something some action happening, like a bar fight, they played fast. Oh my god. Like, that's that's the whole score. It's take me out to the ball game. Played five hundred different ways. It's, it's funny because Babe Ruth is not movie. from the middle of nowhere. Babe Ruth is from Baltimore. Yeah, he's not from the middle of nowhere. He's where he's wearing coveralls for. You know what I mean? Uh, was he a Pullman porter? There's a scene where let's take a fight to see. He makes a kid walk <laughs> by hitting home. Unbelievable. Run. He cures. I think he cures multiple kids of. Uh, and you know, you know they you know they wrote kids in the forties like Gee Winokur's babe. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, Let's yeah. take a find it. Let's take a hear this. So it's about to be a home run. Boy, okay. look at that thing go! The longest hit ball I ever saw. Dad, what happened? Well, babe just hit a home run. The longest one I ever saw. And, and this kid's bedridden, right? And, and he's on the side of the bat, baseball diamond somehow, uh, watching the game. He's in the back seat, bedridden, bedridden. He's coming right this way, son. I see him, Dad. I see him. Hiya, kid. Hiya, babe. Oh, Danny, don't. <laughs> Hiya, babe, Ruth. 
What, Denny, move. You lifted yourself. Look, son, you're, you're standing alone. Dad, he spoke Babe Ruth, spoke me himself. He sounds like he's drunk. My boys, doctor said, they said he'd always be an invalid. He'd spend his life with back. Now look at him. Just look. Bless that. God bless him. God bless that man. He made my son walk. This he is unbelievable. Him. The Babe Ruth lore is just unbelievably <laughs> crazy. Silly oh my God. Know. Yeah, that, that movie is like high comedy. I refuse to believe even in 1946, people uh, believe that movie was, was real. I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, the, the funny thing is Babe Ruth, um, he didn't live very long. He lived to be like 53 years old. He, he didn't live very long. So he had a, a steady diet of alcohol, women, and cigars. Like, no, Babe Ruth wasn't just like the picture of the board of health. Like, that wasn't the case yeah. at all. Hold on. I'm going to show you another one. Uh, but this time I'm going to give you the video. He cures multiple kids with home runs <laughs> in, in his movie. <laughs> Hold, hold on. He's like Chris Kringle. <laughs> yeah. There's like multiple tiny Tims in the movie. Uh, hold on. You, you got to see this. I freaking love this. It's like my favorite. It's so stupid. I remember I watched it because I went to learn something about Babe Ruth. And it's one of those movies where like five minutes in, you're like, okay, I'm not going to learn anything for this motherfucker. You didn't learn anything, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not learning anything from this motherfucker. Let me just have fun. He's a, so watch this. He's he's talking to, a, to another invalid. You listen to that World Series game in Chicago over the radio this afternoon. Will you do that for me? Good. And I'll sock a home run into the center field bleachers for you. That's a promise, Johnny. When you hear that homer over the radio, it'll be all yours. It'll have your name on it. Is it a deal? This kid's sick, so all he can do is nod. He can't talk. Yeah. Now you just keep listening and hang on, pal. Forget Johnny. So the woman tells him, Don't forget Johnny. This is where he calls his shot. Yeah. Babe Ruth has just made that same gesture again. But two and now they're showing the kid in the hospital. He's unconscious. He's in the hospital. He's, he's, he's like bedridden. And he's like uh, passed out by the radio. He can barely move and, and talk. He's unbelievable. Sit down and rest, kid. I'm riding this one out of the park. Oh, yeah. You and who else? Me and a young pal of mine. So he hits Where it at the park. He pointed. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the most Good dramatic grief. gesture ever seen on a baseball diamond. The, the, the kid opened his eyes. Yeah, the only, and, and the kid the kid was cured. The only thing they got right out of there is that Babe Ruth is left-handed. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that shit never happened. If you can find video of Babe Ruth supposedly calling Curing. his shot. It's the most grainiest picture you video you've ever seen in your life. Like I, I, people still don't even know if it really happened. <laughs> Ridiculous. Wait, are you saying that he didn't save the kids? He didn't cure multiple kids. Yeah, he didn't home. save all the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about that, or they never the first one is I think it's like during practice or something. The kid is by the the practice field in the back seat of a car watching them practice and they never explain why he's even why, why is, is there a handicapped the kid a car? yeah yeah why is there a handicapped kid lying in the back seat <laughs> as the Yankees practice like it doesn't 
It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's that's white storytelling for you though, dude. Oh yeah. That's white storytelling for you, man. That that and then look, almost a hundred years later, people still believe it really happened. Oh probably. <laughs> I would love to know how that movie actually did. That that movie was a crazy movie. Oh, I'm sure it did pretty well. Oh, when I say William Bendix, by the way, was older than Babe Ruth. That I mean he was literally older than Babe Ruth. He was older than Babe Ruth's age. At that time, yeah. Yeah, at the times he was depicting like like he was yeah. depicting uh like a 20 something year old babe Ruth when he was like you know 35 older. years old yeah 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 that's that's what i mean but that's um, hilarious yeah but of that that movie is it's a talk about funny sports movie and, and that movie still probably had more real stuff in it than the blind side <laughs> oh yeah it's funny the yankees go from that to drunk ass mickey mantle <laughs> he's a fucking drunk <laughs> Mickey Mantle. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Drunk but, ass Mickey Mantle womanizing Joe DiMaggio or simp Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig. He had ALS. He was, well, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is ALS. Um, there was no problem with uh Yogi Berry, right? I feel like Yogi Berry didn't have any. No, Yogi, no, they you know, a lot of, of people mangling. say Yogi Bear is the nicest person. He, Reggie Jackson says it. Ron Guidry yeah. is the nicest person they ever met. Yeah, he a, he, he passed away, but he has the best stories too. Him and Buck O'Neill. The best baseball story. Yeah, I said the malpropisms where he mangles the language, but even those yeah. are awesome. Yeah, he does really good. Yes, I never, I never heard a bad story about Yogi Yogi Bear. They said that they said that Yogi Bear was supposed to go to. He was he hated flying, so he didn't. He had to fly from New York or like Florida somewhere all the way to California to do a commercial, and he called it like a. I forgot what he he mangled the name, dude. It was like Apple or something like that. He was like, oh, I gotta go to this Apple commercial, and come to find it was the Aflac commercial. Oh yeah, but he straight mangled the name. You know what I mean? But no, that dude, I think he, I think Yogi Berra passed away about a decade ago. He lived to be about a hundred. I wasn't sure he, he was nineties. Um, and I think Yogi Berra is from New York city too. No, he's from St. Louis. Oh, he is. Oh, yeah, he's from I, St. Louis. I was sorry. So, I mean, he's supposed to be in New York so long, even, uh, yeah, exactly. Even when, yeah. even when I was growing, he's growing up, he used to do these, uh, commercials for this, uh, thing called the money store. Yeah. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you can find his money store commercials. And he played for the Yankees for 21 years, but he died. He was 90 when he passed away. So he was around for a long time. He was with the Yankees organization until he died doing something. You know, he's always doing something. But people like him, Tommy Lasorda, you know, people like Buck O'Neill, who passed away, was uh, he actually was the guy, a Negro League player that actually was an ambassador for the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Oh, nice. He also has a lot of great stories about not just Negro League players, but major league players because. He's the one that helped them find a lot of like the stats for Negro League players and put them in the major league in the major league ba uh, baseball statistician so that we can keep the, you know, Satchel Page's strikeouts and Josh Gibson's home runs and things like that. So Buck oh, O'Neill was also an ambassador. Oh, actually, I'm misremembering the money store. Phil Rizzuto was a Yankee who. Oh, Phil Rizzuto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's the one that's from New York and he did the money store. I got him. And yeah, I always, always combine him and Yogi Berra. Yeah. yeah, Phil Rizzuto. I believe Phil Rizzuto's still alive. No, he died in two thousand seven. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but he he used to do the do the money store, and he, he sounds as Brooklyn as it gets. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Oh. He's he's from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on, leave it. He tax laws. <laughs> that was crazy. That was a great interest rate back then. It's like the it's, I know, right? It's like it's almost like uh 
like Bugs Bunny. You can tell Bugs Bunny is from Brooklyn. Yeah. By the way he talks, sounds like Phil Rizzuto. <laughs> That's a, uh, I like how like now, like people are, are panicking about like 8%, like seven and a half was like, you know, a, a steal back then. Um, oh my God. I saw, I saw, I talked to this guy in my neighborhood. And he talked about when he bought his house, the interest rate was like 18%. Yeah, but but you want to know the cost tricky. of the house was nowhere Exa- near. Exactly. That's yeah. that's what it is. Um, it sounds like really bad, but until you find out how much cheaper the house yeah, the house was twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it was like they almost needed interest rate that high just to make it worth doing because it was yeah. so because the, the, the houses cost so cheap like like the bank had like no incentive like the now, bank wasn't gonna make any money <laughs> yeah yeah now the bank could just make it like four percent three percent and they still make a ton still of money fuck you over yeah it's still fuck you in the ass on that yeah shit, yeah because they got because the houses are so disproportionately expensive now uh, yeah yeah yeah, so people who defend like the the economy and the housing market, they'll be like, "Well, don't you know we had a really bad? You had an eighteen percent." It's like, shut up! Your house costs like you know what that's like. You know what that's like. That's like people that uh, when they start talking about racism and they'll say, "Well, the Democrats are the ones who started racism." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like motherfucker, you act like I can't read a book. Like, what are no, you talking about? I call that no context history. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah, no context historian. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Okay, all right, bro. <laughs> the Republicans freed the slaves yeah i know where this is going <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> where this shit is going and i'm not interested yeah uh if you get a, a book of Washington, book of t washington was a republican right okay Whatever. that was that de- that was definitely a, a go-to for the the races on social media around 2014 should they still bring it up man are you serious oh yes yeah, sometimes you still see him like they still got the old playbook i don't know if they didn't get the new one in the mail <laughs> that that is FBI that is FBI stats will never uh be out of the playbook. Yeah. That's the one of the dumbest things you could ever say to somebody. Like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, it's like uh you can use that for like almost like uh anything. You know what I mean? Like if you go back far enough, you can just uh it, it's just it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, uh I think that's it. Is there anything else left to uh discuss? Uh, no, I think we kind of uh fleshed that one out. I think we'll you know, I think Adam wanted to come on and talk about uh, Johnny Black, outlaw Johnny Black. Oh, yeah. We got to arrange that with him. Yeah. The follow up to uh, Black Dynamite. I'm, I'd be interested yeah. to hear, hear his uh, his take. But, but, you were, but you were right. There really ain't too much meat on the bone for to have a, a full two hour show about that movie. I mean, it's good. It's cool. You know what I mean? I yeah. It was a it, cool movie. It's going to have to be mixed with another topic, I think, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for but sure. it's a, but for everybody out there, go watch it. Outlaw Johnny Black, Michael Jai White, uh, Tommy Davidson's in it. Kim Whitley is in it. Um, who else is in that movie? A lot of people. Um, what's his name? Chris. Chris. Chris oh, um, who hosted the Vibe Show? Chris Spencer. Yeah, he's in yeah. it. Um, few a lot of a lot of old school '90s comedians are in that. Um, Tony Tony Baker is it? Tony Baker is in it. Yeah, Tony, yeah. <laughs> Tony Baker. I thought Tony Baker was just going to be a coon in that movie, but yeah, it wasn't he redeemed himself. Yeah, it wasn't a bad movie. I just got to warn you, it's uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to be as funny as uh. Oh, it's nowhere Black near Dynamite. 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 Yeah. No, no. Hold on, listen, listen to this one though. Hi, I'm Phil Rizzuto for the Money Store, announcing a great new second mortgage plan. Now you can borrow as much money as you need for any reason at all. With a fixed rate loan as low as 14.5%. Qualified homeowners get instant approval at the money store. And the low interest rate stays the same for the full term of the loan. Yeah, 14, 14%. Can you imagine that now? It would Great. plunge the economy into like hell. To the toilet. Yeah, but I would if it's take, not already there. Yeah, I would take 14% if I can get 
those type of houses, even adjusted for inflation. Even yeah, adjusted yeah. for inflation, I would take those two houses. Fuck in the yeah. yeah. $50,000 for a house at 18%? Sign me the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, I'm down. I'll put it in the credit card. If I'm, I'm <laughs> exactly. <laughs> definitely do that. Bust out three cards, split it up. <laughs> I'd definitely put on, on a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> 15000 on this card, 15000 Right. <laughs> Just And then pay off those credit cards that are going to be at about, what, about 4% a year. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a great Sunday and talk to you soon. All right. Great.